This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. My friends, welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host here and the founder of Worth Recovery. I'm a sex addict and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So let's start our episode today. This is episode 65 and let's start our episode today with a grateful moment. So in my grateful moment today, I'd like to share with you a bit about my hair struggle. We've all heard things about hair. It's thin, it's limp, it's fine, it's too straight, it's too curly, it's the wrong color, it's too short, it's too long, it doesn't grow, it grows too fast, it is too thick, it is too fine, it's coarse, whatever, you know. We all have struggles with our hair. The hair struggle for women is very real. Hair is almost like an accessory for women. And as such, there are society norms and pressures. Whether we acknowledge them or believe that there are, there are. Just look at the number of Facebook videos that you can find about little girl like ponytail variations, and you'll see that there are some real society norms and pressure. I'm one of those that has fought my hair my entire life entire life. I have not really ever that I remember really felt at peace with my hair. I can think of a few moments when I felt pretty or when I felt like my hair was working for me, but I can't necessarily think a period of time, like a full period of time in my life where I felt at peace with my hair on a continual basis. That is, except the last two months. And today I am grateful to be at peace with my hair. About three years ago when I moved to Utah, I decided to embrace kind of the natural movement, the natural hair, the natural me. My hair is fine. It's super fine. Even when I have it long, like past my shoulders and I put it in a ponytail, I have to wrap the elastic band at least four times. Even if I use the little black plastic ones, you know, the ones I'm talking about that you use like for a little girl's hair usually, it is at least three times, even with that. I'm blonde, but I'm a dirty blonde, and I discovered that I'm going gray when I decided to embrace my natural self, like pretty seriously gray, and I just wasn't quite ready to embrace that. My hair is naturally curly, just enough to say, oh, you're kind of curly, not enough to actually be curly. With some really good products, it can hold some curl. I tried for years to embrace the curl, to embrace the blonde, the gray, the look. I just couldn't do it. I went dark brown because I wanted to try that out. I let it grow because people told me I should, quote unquote should, let it grow, that women's hair needed to be long. And the whole entire time, all the last three years, I've hated it. I didn't want to get up and get ready in the morning because it involved doing something with my hair. I started pulling it back all the time because I just couldn't handle it. And I didn't like the way that that looked either. But every time I tried to do my hair, I felt uglier and uglier and uglier. And like I was destined to just hate my appearance the rest of my life. Then two months ago, I said, enough, enough with this whole like hair business. I scoured the internet. I found pictures of haircuts I really liked. They were all short. And so I told everyone I'm cutting it off. I'm going short and I'm cutting it off. 
It's not like my hair has ever been really, really long. It hasn't. I found a woman's hair color that I adored and I asked her who colored it. I called and I made an appointment. For the first time, probably in my entire life, I went into this appointment, I sat in the chair, and I said actually exactly how I felt about my hair. I explained everything that I liked and everything that I didn't like about it. I explained my struggle with it, how much time I wanted to spend on it, all the stupid things people said to me about it, and I told her exactly what I wanted, every single detail of what I wanted. It was probably the first time in my life that I was actually honest about my hair. This amazing woman, she's totally amazing, said, well, I I don't think you'll like it like that. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. She was like, you're not going to like it if we do that. And not only did she, was she honest with me about it, but she told me why. She explained back to me using the same words that I had just used to describe my hair, why the cut wouldn't work the way I wanted it and the way I thought it would. Then... She gave me suggestions on how to modify the cut to get the result I was really looking for. It has been seriously the best haircut and color I think I have ever had in my entire life. This morning while doing my hair, I thought, wow, I love my hair. I love the color. I love the cut. I love the way it tucks behind my ear perfectly. I love that it looks consistently good throughout the day. I love that I don't have to use mountains of hair product to make it do what I want. Most of all... I love that I look forward to getting ready for the day because I know I am not going to have to fight with my hair and feel ugly in the process. That's my grateful moment. I'm grateful for cute hair, for blonde hair, and being at peace with my hair and therefore feeling at peace with myself. I'm also especially grateful for hairdressers who listen, understand, and help. Also, I'm really grateful for listening to myself. I remember the first time I wanted to cut my hair short. I was in eighth grade. I had long hair then, way past my shoulders, almost halfway down my back, closer to my waist. And I hated it. (laughs) I remember telling my mom, I just want short hair. I just want to cut it off and I want it to be short. But she didn't like that idea. For years, I've been fighting against my gut feeling on that. For years, I've given in to people telling me things like, don't cut it off, or men like longer hair, or long hair is sexy, and have chosen to give in to the pressure of growing it out and fighting with it. I did go short for a few years, and I loved that, though it wasn't super accepted by people around me. But you know what? I don't care. No more. I love my hair. I feel at peace with it and I feel like it looks good on me. I won't go back. I won't grow it out. And today I'm grateful to feel authentic and more at peace with myself. So apparently I feel really strongly about that. I just realized as I kind of went on and on about my grateful moment for my hair. Good for me though. Good for me for feeling strongly about that. I hope that you feel at peace with yourself today. I hope that You can be honest with yourself and with those around you and feel peace at who you are and feel peace with what you are doing in your life. And I'm grateful for the peace that I feel today around my hair. (laughs) Okay, let's get back to our topic. Let's get to our topic, not back to our topic. We haven't even started yet. Let's get to our topic. This is episode 65 and is the continuation of our deep dive into the 12 steps of recovery. We are discussing step eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 
Now, this is going to be our third episode on this step. In episode 61, that was our first episode, we talked about working this step in our lives. The title was, It Works When I Work It. And I gave you the three principles that I learned while working this step. It wasn't until actually working this step that these principles stood out to me and and occurred in my life. Those three principles are responsible ownership, letting go, and forgiveness. Now, in our next episode, episode 63, we talked about responsible ownership. I learned to not make excuses. I learned not to provide context or even the big picture as reasons for my behavior and not to seek amends in return. The responsible ownership requires me to own my behaviors. The principle I use to make sure I'm doing this is that I make amends for behaviors and not for emotions. I make amends for the things that I do, whether that's just my facial expressions, my body language, or whether that's actual harm done. I make amends for the things that I do, my behaviors, and not for my emotions. In today's episode, this is episode 65, I want to discuss with you the principle of letting go. Now, letting go, I'm sure that you have heard that phrase before. Maybe you love hearing that phrase. Maybe your very first thoughts are like the movie Frozen and you're singing to yourself, let it go, let it go. I don't even know how that song really goes because I've never seen that movie. But my niece knows every word to that song, every single word. As I prepared to make amends, as I was working step eight, as I worked through my letters, there were many things that I had to learn to let go of. I'm going to talk about some of the things I had to let go of first, and then I'm going to give you some practices and some tools for letting go that I have found personally helpful for me. The first thing I had to let go of when I was working through step eight was letting go of outcomes. My desire to control outcomes, I wanted to control those outcomes, how this was all going to play out. My desire for that control came out in two different ways. First, it came out in my perfectionism. Perfectionism definitely got the best of me at first. I figured there were different words, there were perfect words, not just different, but perfect words out there that I could find and use that would make this letter, this amends, this situation all go exactly the right way. Now, of course, the right way was my way, right? I wanted it exactly the way I wanted it to turn out. Somehow I knew if I could find the right words, then this person that I was making amends to, they would understand what I had done and exactly why. They would forgive me and we would have a great, great relationship when I was done. At first, I looked for those perfect words. I looked for synonyms. I looked at my grammar. I looked at the phrasing that I was using. I would rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, studying every single word like it was a novel or a report that was going to go into the Library of Congress or something. This delayed me in writing some of my letters. It also left me feeling really frustrated and angry and most of all scared. I just knew somehow that there were some perfect words out there and that if I could just find and use those perfect words, everything would go perfectly. Now, my sponsor had to boil it down for me. She had to keep checking in with me and help me to move forward in writing, reminding me that words were better than no words, (laughs) whether they were perfect words or not. Also reminding me that this this was my rough draft. This was my getting willing to make amends. And that spending so much time looking at every single thing was my own character defect, my perfectionism coming in. 
I had to learn to let go of my perfectionism in order to let go of the outcomes. It wasn't easy, but I knew it was a character defect that I had, this perfectionism, and that God would help me. That's what steps six and seven had told me, that God would help me to overcome my character defects and to help me let go of the outcomes, let go of the control that I was trying to exert over the outcomes. The second way that this desire for control and uh, showed up for me and that my attachment to outcomes showed up for me was in this whole thing, business of image management. Not only was I searching for the perfect words to help them understand what had happened, I was also looking for the perfect words so that I could say I was accurate, but yet I could maintain my image. Does that make sense? I was trying to be as accurate and truthful as possible, but yet at the same time, I was trying to skirt the skirt the severity of what had happened, maybe, and to try to maintain my image. I, I didn't want to say things like, I'm in a 12-step group and this is why I'm doing it. I didn't want to use words like recovery or therapy or most especially, I didn't want to use the word sex addict. No way was I telling these people that I had an addiction. I wanted to apologize and somehow maintain my image all at the same time. And with some people in your life, that may be a wise decision. Only you and your sponsor can determine that. There were some for me that that's the right decision. Not because I need to maintain my image, but because they just aren't safe people with that information. But as I was going through and writing my lists, I found that there were some people that I wanted to use those words with. Because I either felt like that gave me an advantage or because I didn't care what they thought of me. Those were both very prideful and manipulative motives. But yet that was true. And that's where it really kind of stood out to me was kind of this juxtaposition of some people there's no way I'm doing it. And some people I want to use those words. And that was a, that was a red flag for me. That I wasn't being congruent and that I needed to really look at my motives I really had to focus on letting go of managing my image to be as honest as possible. This meant I had to examine those motives behind the words that I chose and to use and let go of how people might respond to those words or react. In letting go of my desire for image management, I had to let go of my pride, another character defect that was getting in my way. Because of my work in step six and seven, I knew God would help me remove my character defects. My attachment to and the desire to control outcomes was one of the first things that I had to let go of when I was working this step. As I became willing to make amends, I had to let go of outcomes. And with that came letting go of perfectionism and pride. That was the first thing I had to work on. Now, the second thing I had to work on and I had to learn to let go of was my own shaming nature. I hope I can describe this in a way that works. Many times as I wrote these letters and I worked on becoming willing to make amends, I would feel physically sick. The guilt and the shame of what I had done would overwhelm me. It could be really bad. And I might feel, like I said, physically sick and ill while writing the letter. Maybe after a few letters in a row, the shame spiral would start for me. And I would start to hear myself and the shame voices in my head. I am a horrible person. I am unworthy. I am unlovable. No one will ever forgive me. God won't forgive me. Within minutes, sometimes even seconds really, I could be at the bottom of a very deep, dark hole. 
How could I think I was doing so well? I would start to doubt everything that I knew. How could I think I was making progress? Look at all these horrible, horrible things that I've done. Sometimes I would cope by trying to detach. I would mechanically write letters, not feeling anything, guilt, remorse, anything. That would always come back to bite me because my letters would be void of any kind of emotion. In my detachment, my desire to control the outcome would take over and I would highly edit these letters. I would go back to perfectionism and pride and I'd create more problems for myself. My fellow recovery travelers, my sponsor, all these tools that I had, my therapist, all of these things were major helps for me as I learned to challenge my own shame voices as they returned. It was helpful that I had experience with talking back statements, with affirmations, and how to stop my own shame cycle. It was challenging and hard, but I had to learn to let go of it if I was going to make it through these letters. Shaming myself and not seeing myself right size next to my higher power as I had practiced in step six and seven. Shaming myself was a character defect that I had to practice letting go of as I was working step eight in my life. The final thing I want to discuss that I had to let go of is just slightly more abstract maybe. As I wrote more and more of these letters, this dread and fear kind of settled into me. This was going to be hard. This was going to be really hard to make these amends and to take true accountability for the things that I had done. This desire settled into me that there had to be another way. I want to read a paragraph really quickly from chapter five of the AA Big Book. And it says, quote, our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Again, that comes from the AA Big Book, Chapter 5. It's the beginning. Up until this point, steps eight and nine, nearly everything I had done was internal. The work I had done was internal and didn't involve many people outside of my recovery circle. But this step, step eight, was requiring me to go external in a way I hadn't before. I had to let go of my ideas about finding that easier, softer way. Because I was determined that there was, had to be, had to be a d better, different, easier way than actually making real amends. I had to be fearless and thorough, as the book tells me, which meant I had to give up my fear. I had many old ideas I was holding on to, and I realized that the result would be nil until I let go absolutely. I had to submit myself to the process, to the steps, to everything they asked of me on a deeper level than I had before. I had to let go of my desire to find that easier, softer way. Now, these are just three of the major things that I had to let go of in this step. I had to let go of my attachment to outcomes. I had to let go of my shaming nature. And I had to let go of my desire to find an easier, softer way. Let go of my old ideas. 
There were many other things that came up, other things I had to let go of, many character defects, pride, perfectionism, image management, fear, resentment, and more. But these were some of the big ones for me. Working step eight requires this process of letting go. Now, the real question is, how do we do this in reality? I think it's one thing to talk about letting go. You probably want to let go of these things. And maybe you have a whole additional list of things that you want to let go of. Talking about letting go and actually letting go sometimes feel light years apart, maybe in different galaxies or even different universes. So how do we do this? How do we let go? I want to give you just really quickly six practical ideas of things that I have done to help me. I'm not going to elaborate too much on them, but just enough to get you some ideas to get you started. So number one, in the process of letting go, it's important that you allow yourself to feel. You're going to feel emotions. Things are going to come up and you need to allow yourself to feel those emotions. Don't escape. Don't run. Don't minimize them. Emotions are good and emotions are real. Remember that we can only hold on to emotions for about two minutes. That's all our body is capable of. If you need help dealing with big emotions, go back and review episodes 46 and 48 with John Taylor about dealing with big emotions. But in the process of letting go, it's important that you allow yourself to feel. Number two, remember that letting go takes practice. It takes time, it takes mindfulness, it takes intention, and it takes practice. Practice, 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 practice. Everyday practice. Think of practicing for a sport or a musical instrument. Practice works when it's regular, intentional, and has specific goals. I like to practice using time periods. I will say things like, I'm going to let this go for two hours. And you know me, I'll set my phone, my alarm on my phone, and I will not think about it for two hours. During that two hours, I will surrender it every time it comes up. Practicing is what it takes, and it might take several practice sessions before you start to see some progress, but you need to practice. Number three, I found very helpful in the process of letting go some meditation. Calming my mind and focusing is awesome. I do some guided meditations, but I also found it really helpful to meditate on the idea of what it will feel like to not regret the past. Think about and hold in your mind the idea of what it will be like to be free of all these wrongs you've held on to so tightly. This filled me with courage and hope. It gave me real feelings and images that I could hold on to and gave me that desire to keep working on it, even though I knew it would be difficult. Number four, this one was, maybe seems a little weird to you. In the practice of the process of letting go, one of the things I found really helpful is to declutter. Like I said, maybe this seems weird to you, but... I found that physically getting rid of things opened my heart and my mind to letting go and getting rid of other things like emotions. I would declutter a drawer or a shelf, nothing major, but that feeling of openness would really help me want to feel that way emotionally as well. It was helpful to declutter when I was really struggling to let go and let go of something. Maybe that's a little weird, but it really worked for me. I find a lot that that really helps even now if I am getting overwhelmed or stressed or struggling to let go of some things. I will still practice this one a lot. Okay, number five. Now this one's more of 
just a mental exercise, but I think it's important as you're working on letting go that we recognize the uniqueness of everyone's journey. This is all about avoiding comparison. Everyone has a unique journey. Everyone has different things to deal with in life. And though each of us has a has a unique path, we all trudge through the darkness of damage. That's what I call it. The darkness of damage that we've done in our lives. We all trudge through the swamp of sorrow and sadness. We each do it, though our path is unique. Making amends isn't about anyone else's journey other than mine. And a lot of times when I was struggling to let go, I would have to check in with myself and remind myself that this is my journey and not anyone else's. And then the last thing, number six, one thing that really helped me while I was working through this letting go process is giving myself some grace. My experience in recovery for the last five years has taught me this great truth. Everyone is doing the best that they can. I truly, truly believe that. I used to use that in helping me find peace with the actions of others. I would say, man, I know that they were doing the best that they could. It might not have worked the way that they were hoping or the way that I was hoping, but I knew that they did the best that they could. But it was here in working step eight that I really started using that same concept to find my own peace, to apply that same concept to myself. I was doing the best that I could, the very best that I could. And sometimes I still say that to myself when I struggle letting go with something. I will just breathe for a second and say, I am doing the very best that I can. I'm grateful for these six ideas that have helped me in the letting go process. And I hope that they can help you as well. It's not easy. It takes time. And the more that we practice and work on it, the better we become in doing it. Now, in conclusion today, I want to share a quick story from the Sexaholics Anonymous White Book. This comes from page 85, and it says, quote, There is another story of a man who fell off a cliff in the dark and on the way down grasped a branch and hung on for dear life. Weakening, he finally cried out to heaven, Please help me. And the answer came, Let go. But if I let go, I'll die, the man replied. Let go, was all that he heard. When finally he could hold on no longer, he did let go, knowing it was the horrible end. And to his great surprise, the ground was only a foot below him. Only when we let go does the release come, as though God mercifully raises the very earth itself to meet us. Close quote. I love that story for two reasons. Sometimes we hold on to things not knowing that the ground is only a foot below us. Not knowing that actually letting go would help save our energy and our own muscles. Not knowing that there was help right right beneath us. And the second thing that I love about that is that I know that our higher power is constantly raising the earth to meet us when we let go of things that stand in our way of becoming who we want to and need to be. I know that our higher power will raise the very earth to meet us. I know that that is true. I hope today that you found these ideas helpful. Thanks for joining me on this journey in the 12 steps. We have one more episode on step eight where we will talk about forgiveness before we move on to step nine. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, 
No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very, very moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.